0: I grew up in Bertola Valley, but both of my parents are from Dallas, Texas. (laughs) And so is Rabbi Fenvis. And my father's parents are from Vienna, Austria, and they escaped in 1939 right after Kristallnacht. Now by every measure, my father has actualized the American dream. He was a first generation American born in Brooklyn, to immigrant parents who just years before got here. He graduated number one out of his college class, was given a full ride to the second-rate school, Stanford, to get his PhD in electrical engineering. And then he bought a home in the Patrol Valley. And every single night, my father would eat his favorite meal. Now, the food, that varied. But the meal, it was always the same. It was not at the table. I mean, he would sit with us every single night, and he would pick off our plates as we would finish. But night in and night out, his favorite thing was standing over the kitchen sink and eating what food people had left. And so we always joked every single night as kids that the calories that must have fallen off the plate, and that's why my father was at the sink every single night, as we cleaned the table, he would then clean our plates. And it was not until I disappointed my diehard Stanford father by going to the superior school across the bay, Berkeley, that I understood what had been going on my entire life. I was sitting in a psych class which had a focus on generational psychology when the professor flipped the slide and explained that a classic multi-generation effect that they had found of first-generation Holocaust survivors was eating off of other people's plates as well as out of the sink, even when a family had enough food to eat. And I was dumbstruck. It was not that my father's favorite meal was sink food, but rather it was something he had carried over from the generation before. Now, he had never been in the Holocaust, but the Holocaust was in him. This is a truism that we carry, that oftentimes things we're not even aware of, we carry them for generations. Familial patterns that occurred one generation after the next. Now, the book of Genesis is one big family pattern of lying, deception, favoritism, and jealousy. And in this week's Parsha Vayachi, we finish the book of Genesis. And this familial pattern comes to its climax, where change finally occurs. This is dramatic and different because every other generation in Genesis, they pass on their trauma to the next generation, L'Ador V'Ador. It's almost like a domino effect. Think about Cain and Abel. Who is the father figure that starts the pattern of causing siblings to be jealous of each other? It's not Adam. It's God. God favors Abel, which makes Cain jealous. And as a result, Cain kills Abel. Abraham favors Isaac over Ishmael, Rebecca favors Jacob over Esau, and then teaches Jacob to deceive his father to get the blessing. So not coincidentally, Jacob repeats the pattern that has existed in his family for generations and favors one of his children over the others, and it causes pain to another generation. Jacob's sons deceive him, just as he had deceived his father one could almost read these final pages of Genesis and think that the author was not even that creative because the same patterns are just repeating over and over again. I mean, the Torah, it began with Cain and Abel, but here at the end of the Parsha, instead of the brothers killing Joseph, there's a twist and he's permitted to live, but no longer in the toxic familial system. Now, most read this passage and they would say that Joseph was sold into slavery. But from Joseph's perspective, he will eventually reframe this experience as a gift from God, because he's able to leave his home and to begin anew. Monica McGoldrick of Rutgers University says, since family patterns can be transmitted from one generation to the next, recognizing such patterns can often help families avoid repeating unfortunate patterns or transmitting them into future generations. And I wonder, If that is what happened to Joseph, for most of us, we watch from the outside and we see how Joseph went from being the favored one to being in a pit, to being sold to slavery, to eventually being locked up alone in jail. But what we don't see is what goes on inside of him. All of Genesis, it seems to be about what happens to people, less about what happens within people. Joseph is left in the dark with only himself in that small prison cell to reflect on the pain that he had experienced, the pain that his father had experienced, the pain that every generation that came before him experienced all the way back to that field when Cain stood over Abel. Dr. Laura Firestone writes, quote, even though what happened to us in childhood, it shows up in our parenting, this doesn't mean that we're doomed to repeat the mistakes of our parents. In fact, no matter what distress or even trauma we endured in early life, what matters most is how much we've been able to feel the full pain of our childhood and then create a coherent narrative of our experience." Unquote. Inside of that jail, tied up with nowhere to go, is where Joseph seems to finally find freedom. In the jail, Joseph makes a coherent narrative out of his lived experience. Joseph can see only see other people's dreams once he has fully understood his own internal workings. Only once he has fully internalized his own trauma and the trauma caused by the generations of his ancestors that he's actually able to set himself free. But being free, it means that he must face his ultimate tests. Now, being free, It means that he finally can return to where it all began, his home, to his father, to the one that favored him, the one that set up this dynamic that led to him being in prison in Egypt. And I would argue that this moment is the ultimate test for Joseph. Reflecting in the dark of the prison was difficult, but staring straight in his father's eyes is much more difficult This week, Jacob, he reaches the end of his life. And on his deathbed, he asks to bless Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And as Joseph's sons approach their grandfather, Jacob, with his old, worn hands that he had used to wrestle in the desert, the same hands that he had fooled his own father with, Isaac. And Jacob, he places his hand on Ephraim's head and not on Manasseh's head. Now Manasseh was the firstborn, so he's supposed to be the one getting the blessing. And it's right there that Joseph sees his father's worn hands, which had the power to cause him such pain lay upon one of his sons and not on the other, favoring one over the other, creating the same dynamic that had happened to all the generations that had come before him. And it's in that moment that Joseph yells, stop! Stop! But Jacob won't. He insists on favoring one of Joseph's sons over the other. And then he blesses Ephraim over Manasseh. And he says, Elohim God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh, and thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Now how many of us are going to head home over this winter break And see the same patterns we've seen since our earliest memories. Those patterns, they do not change. Even when some of us yell, stop! Now what does change this week is Joseph's response and Joseph's understanding. His sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, they hear him yell, stop! They hear their own father Joseph say, listen, this isn't right. Now I know it's your grandfather." And we can respect him, but what he's doing, it's wrong. And it causes pain, and it has torn our family apart for generations. But, you know something, we're blessed. Because I went into the depths, I cried, and I hurt, and when I reflected on how I ended up in a prison in a foreign land, and if it was not for touching hell, I never would have been able to see that I did not need to be imprisoned by my past. Rather, I had agency. I did not need my children to feel the pain, the jealousy, the deceit, and the favoritism. I can change the trajectory of the entire world if I could just change myself. And that's what I did. That's why I told my dad, your grandfather, Jacob, to stop. That's why I tell you this day about my painful family history and why you Manasseh and you Ephraim, you don't have to repeat it. You don't have to be jealous of each other because I love you both. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he writes that we can only change the world if we can change ourselves. That's why the book of Genesis ends with the story of Joseph and his brothers. The thing is, those echoes of pains, they do not end in this week's parsha, with Joseph protesting. We carry them with us to this day, to this very Shabbat, because every Jew on the planet is laying their hands on their kids and saying the exact same words that Jacob says, We are repeating the favoritism words week by week. Now some, they could argue that we're continuing our pattern, But I would argue that it's a weekly reminder to us to look at our own family patterns, the generations that came before us, and how they influence us, and how we act with the same agency and the same urgency as Joseph did to change the world by changing ourselves. Shabbat Shalom.